Welcome back to another edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, presented by Dream Cricket. I'm your host, Peter Delapena. I want to thank everybody out there once again for all the tremendous feedback we've been getting over the first few weeks of the podcast. And in particular, I want to give a special thank you to Dream Cricket. I've had a long relationship with Dream Cricket going back to 2009. And once again, they've stepped up to become a title sponsor of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. So going forward, it will be known as the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket. And so I want to thank them very much for their support, as well as the support for some new patrons. If you haven't gone to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to show your support of the podcast, by all means, sign up with different levels of support. You can be a patriot like Lenny Achaibar and Stan Weasler. Appreciate them for their support. We've got an eagle who's joined on board, PJ Kettles. PJ, I've known for quite some time, helped do a lot of reading, proofreading, feedback for my book, Inside the Selection Room, A Quest for T20 Cricket Stardom. PJ has always shown his support, and I appreciate PJ once again for doing it through Patreon as an eagle. Another set of eagles I want to give a shout out to are Phil and Crystal Melky. Phil is a USA super fan. I've seen him around the world on tour, following USA in places as far flung as Dubai and Uganda. And so I appreciate Phil's support along with his wife, Crystal. And we've also got Kevin Bertram, who has stepped up to be a captain of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. So, Kevin Bertram, thank you for your support as well. I really appreciate it. Now, today's guest this week somebody who has been on the scene for a few years now on the under-19 radar in U.S. junior cricket. He was a member of the USA under-19 squad that went to Toronto in 2019 as a 16-year-old, but he didn't get onto the field at all in the starting 11. And that was a huge motivating force for him. He didn't particularly like the taste of that. And especially seeing the team on the field unable to qualify, that was a big motivating factor to spur him onto bigger and better things. And the results were there for everybody to see in Texas in the month of April when Rechman Dar finished as the leading scorer, opening the batting for the Southwest region side that finished as the runner-up in the USA Cricket Under-19 National Championships in Prairie View, Texas, just outside of Houston. So Rechmandar scored a century. He was one of several Centurions in the tournament, finished as the leading scorer with 317 runs. And he's got an interesting journey, how he got involved in cricket. His father is originally from Pakistan and was a teammate in college of renowned in international umpire Alim Dar, no relation. Rehman's father, Atar, moved to the USA. Rehman was born in Stamford, Connecticut, which is famous for a variety of reasons, just over the New York, Connecticut state line. And one of those reasons in particular is something we'll delve into a little bit in the early part of the podcast, which some of you who are into sports entertainment will appreciate. He talks about his cricket journey, how he got into cricket, moving from Connecticut to Texas, where he's based now, out of the greater Dallas area in Plano, in the Dallas Metroplex, but also his aspirations for 
USA Cricket Under-19 National Team later this summer. They've got a training camp coming up in San Francisco in June. He's going to be part of that as part of the 26-man squad, and I think everybody expects him to be part of the USA Under-19 squad that will be picked as one of 14 players to compete against Canada, Argentina, and Bermuda later on in August as USA vies for a berth in the 2022 ICC Under-19 World Cup that will be held in the West Indies. Now, once again, I mentioned Dream Cricket is now a title sponsor, and Dream Cricket's Pavilion Shop can help you fill all your cricket kit requirements from top-of-the-line English wool bats made by all the top manufacturers, as well as helmets, gloves, pads, jerseys, highlight DVDs, books, and more. Get 10% off all online orders over $400 using coupon code DCUSA. That's D-C-U-S-A. Go to shop.dreamcricket.com to take advantage of that offer today. Dream Cricket Academy also offers private and group lessons for children of all ages. They have competitive youth teams organized at under 12, under 14, under 16, and under 18 level. Multiple students of the Dream Cricket Academy have been selected to represent USA at under 19 level over the years, including Raymond Ramratan, Harish Eshwarya, and 2021 USA Under 19 National Championship Tournament MVP, Sai Mukamala. The Dream Cricket Academy coaching staff is also led by the head coach of the Mid-Atlantic Region Under-19 National Champions, Earl Daly, himself a former USA national team player. Dream Cricket Academy is located at 400 Apgar Drive in Somerset, New Jersey, just a mile off of Exit 12 on Interstate 287. For more information, call 908-938-3787 or email cricket at dreamcricket.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Musa Cricket Stadium, the first and original turf wicket cricket facility in the state of Texas. For more information, call 713-534-2195. That's Musa Cricket Stadium in Pearland, Texas. And now, without further ado, here is today's guest on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast, Rehman Dar. Today's guest is the leading scorer at the USA Cricket Under-19 National Championships that just concluded in April, Raymond Dar. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Am I saying your name right? Is it Raymond or Raymond or how do you pronounce it? Um, So in school, I mean, they call me Raymond in school, but it's Rahman with an H like the sound like, like yeah, Rahman. Rahman. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, Rahman. All right. Welcome to the show. Um, so you are potentially a two-time representative for the USA Under-19 squad. You were part of the team in 2019 in Canada, that qualifier, and looking like a pretty uh, odds-on favorite to get picked again, finishing his leading score in, uh, in Texas at the Under-19s recently, but... You're not from Texas originally. You were born in Stamford, Connecticut. And one of the things I I know about Stamford growing up in in New Jersey, my mother was born in Norwich, Connecticut. Norwich, Connecticut, kind of in the middle part of the state, roughly uh, on the kind of near the coast. And um, so when we'd go up to visit my grandma growing up, we'd, we'd head up Route 95, and one of the thrills, the highlights of the trip riding through Connecticut was passing 
WWE headquarters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was like just after Stanford in that that kind of area, just over the the Connecticut New York border, and I know uh, from talking to you, uh, one of my first conversations with you, you said your dad owned a series of subway franchises in in Connecticut, and one of the the big names that wandered in one day to the subway shop was Triple H. Triple H, yep. So how how often growing up? were wrestling star sightings in your part of Connecticut? Um, to be honest, I did I was a I was a kid. Um, but my dad has had some experiences. Um so the funny the Triple H story was a funny part. He like he walked in and I used to be a big and my brothers and sisters used to be a big, you know, WWE fan. And like we had posters like of Triple H and all of them. So he walked in and then my dad was just like, you know, obviously just um, asking him what he wants and stuff. And um, so he walked in and my dad was like, hey, you look familiar. And he saw his uh, shirt said Triple H on it. So he was like, are you that WWE guy? And he was like, yeah, that's me. And he was like, oh, my um, my children, they watch you and all the time in WWE. Yeah. But it, it was a crazy when he came home and I was just shocked. So that that was the lone uh, sighting that you're aware of in, inside of one of the subway shops, Triple H. Uh, you said growing up you were a big WWE guy, uh, though. So like, who were some of like your wrestling heroes that you were hoping to run into one day? John Cena, obviously. That's going up. He was just my favorite. And who else? Oh, Randy Orton was pretty big. The Rock was pretty big. Yeah, all of them. And then obviously the Undertaker. Which was the most like interesting and mysterious? Yeah, for sure. The taker. Yeah. So I, you're, now, now I feel a little bit old because, because like when I was growing up, it was the Attitude Generation. So like Monday Night Raw, the Monday Night Wars, that was like appointment viewing growing up Monday night. And so like The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, those are like my guys growing yes. up. I still watch those videos like sometimes, like. When it just pops up like a on the recommendation, like a WWE video, I just search up like the the old like the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and all those like videos and stuff. I think one year for for my brother's birthday, I remember getting him. He was in college at this point. He was I had two older brothers. One was two years older than me. The other one was about five years older than me. And so they they were in in college uh, ahead of me. And as a birthday gift one year, again this was like in that era there was a sports memorabilia shop that sold like road signs or like mock road signs that you could have like a, a slogan or something that would say like you know whatever uh or it would it would signify whatever a famous street in in a certain town where a sports venue was located but they had these wwe themed ones and I, I remember i got my brother one year for his birthday to put up in his dorm room a sign that said know your old boulevard <laughs> <laughs> that was the street sign he could hang up in his dorm room. <laughs> Another part we used to do was like, you know how they the, they sell the belts, like like a replica of the belts. Oh yeah. Like yeah, we we bought like we bought one of those, and like me and my little brother, we used to have like wrestling matches and stuff for it. Yeah, it was it was pretty fun. Big Good old day. Yeah. We'd, we'd yeah. practice the wrestling moves. We'd have to go into like my parents' bedroom with a king size bed, so we wouldn't fall off and like hit our heads or anything yep. like that but we'd be yep. doing all the like rock bottom and stone cold yeah. centers and all that exactly rko and all that good old days 
Have you ever been to a WWE event ever? I actually have. Um, I went to Friday Night Smack. No, 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 Monday Night Raw. Yep. And that was in Connecticut, or where where was that? Where did you go? It was in Connecticut. I think it was in Bridgeport or something. Okay. My brother, I've never been to one. My brother went to one uh, in East Rutherford, New Jersey, where we grew up. That was at at, at the time, it was called the Continental Airlines Arena. And I think went through a couple of different name changes, Izod Center and whatnot. But he said, you know, that growing up, we were always big football fans and ice hockey fans and go to a lot of Giants games and Devils games, been to Devils playoff games when they were winning Stanley Cups in the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, my brother says, like, no joke, his favorite ever sporting event experience, atmosphere-wise, was going to Monday Night Raw. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. The energy, he said it was just wild, it's like the noise. Yeah, it's like so into it. The thing, um, so I was in the show, and I think CM Punk and Undertaker were having a little like their um, brawls or whatever. And um, the Undertaker music started playing, like it went dark and all that. And then CM Punk walks out, and it was crazy. Yeah, it was just, I was like, ah, but still, the music and all that, it was like really dark. And I was like, yo, is the Undertaker really gonna come? That was crazy. So if cricket doesn't work out, is is like WWE wrestling a backup fallback career for you? <laughs> uh, maybe just in my house, yeah, for sure. Maybe make, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully cricket works out. Hopefully Shall cricket work. works out. All right. So <laughs> you were in, you grew up in Connecticut mostly, in yep. Stanford. You started your freshman year of high school. You actually went to to Stanford High School and you played freshman football. You're on the, yep. the freshman football team. At Stanford, you were wide receiver. Yeah. Which I find fascinating. Because um, you're, you're a quick guy running between the wickets. Yeah. So being on the field, I, I can I can kind of envision you being quite handy as a receiver. Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, it was a great experience. I actually, like, um, so I didn't plan on playing football. And I was just playing, like, seven on seven with my friends. And I think the season was two weeks in. And they were like, yo, you should come uh, play football with us, like, uh, play for the team. And I was like, I mean, like at that time, I didn't play cricket seriously. So I was like, yo, it's all, um, I'm free anyway. So I'll just go. So I went and then the coach looked at me and he like, he was like, hey, you got a nice set of hands. And then from there, I started progressing. And then in practice, one day we had like a seven on seven when I was on the team already. And then I caught a couple balls and he was like, yo, you can start and stuff. So then I started from there. Had, had that been something you you played consistently growing up, whether in community or did you ever play Pop Warner football? Or, or what, you know, before you got into cricket, what other sports were you playing growing up in Connecticut? Uh, honestly, just just football because I used to play, me and my brothers, um, we used to play in our driveway. It was like a really long driveway. And then we used to just play like every day, like a game up to like seven. Really competitive. Yeah. Did you and did your brothers play high school football at all or no? Uh, my older brother he played high school football. Um, there's a picture in the back. Um, he was actually he was a quarterback. He was pretty good. I'd say if he was a quarterback, he was he was definitely good because they don't just let anybody be a quarterback when you get to high school. Yep, exactly. Nice. So, um, but then you you left Stanford and you moved to Texas. You moved to Plano, Texas. And from my understanding, that was partially motivated by cricket. Yep. So you 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 had been playing cricket 
consistently growing up, you your first tournament you played in competitive tournament wise, you played in North Carolina as a ten year old. Yeah. And you were playing consistently in some of these junior events and, and local cricket, but obviously if, if you moved to Texas specifically for cricket, that signifies there was a shift in, in thinking not just from yourself but from your family that it was starting to get quite serious. I mean, first off, I guess, how did you get into cricket in the first place in in terms of you know, your family connection? Your dad uh, played in Pakistan. He was a, a teammate of Alim Dar at his college in, in Pakistan before coming to the U.S. But how did you get kind of connected locally in, in cricket, especially in an area of Connecticut where cricket isn't necessarily uh, as popular as some of the other sports you would have uh, been exposed to locally? And then what was, I guess, the motivating factor uh, that, that really uh, put your family really into into kind of the tipping point to get you to Texas in a location where you could devote a bit more time uh, to cricket in better facilities? Um, so the way I started playing cricket was my dad, obviously. Um, he And so in Connecticut, we had a team named Shaheen's. And it was it was like a family team, so like um, all all the teammates knew each other, like and they and they had kids, and the kids were like my age, and they're all my friends. So um, they used to play hardball, and they used to also play tape ball. So obviously, like when I was around, I believe like ten, I'd really start playing uh, hardball, but we only used to play tape ball at the parks, and that's how I started getting into it, and then. When I went to my first hardball tournament, which was in North Carolina, that's when I started getting the passion. Because I was honestly scared at that time to play hardball. You know, just, yeah. And then the motive behind moving to Texas was um, my dad, he saw that I had potential to play, but I wasn't serious back then. Um, I needed more um, exposure to cricket because, as you could tell, like, there's only a couple months of cricket back in Connecticut till the weather changes and there's a lot of snow and all that. So yeah, that's the reason. The motive. Yeah. So in, in Connecticut, I mean, typically what would be a typical routine for you with regards to training? Where, how far would you have to drive to, to train if, if you were training, if there was a training facility within driving distance in Connecticut or would you have to drive into New York or, um, you know, what was available from that standpoint. And then on a weekend, if you were playing matches, were you playing in one of the Connecticut leagues? Or again, was it a case of you had to drive into New York? I mean, what was the typical driving distance, not just for training, but for actual matches on a weekend during cricket season in Connecticut? Um, so facilities, we don't really have any. Um, we used to sometimes practice. There was a basketball court. So what we do is there were nets there and they would just pull the nets and lay out a carpet and then we'd play on there. But um, when I actually started getting cricket, also I started going to New Jersey to play um, youth cricket there. And so that would be on like a Saturday. I had a 40-over game there. And then I would come back the next day on Sunday. I would have a, like an adult 40-over game. It was, I think, um, SCTCA Cricket League, Southern Connecticut Cricket Association, SCTCA, yeah. Southern Connecticut Cricket Association, yeah. So we'd have two games and then, yeah, I used to have hardball exposure from that. So when you're driving to New Jersey on a Saturday, that's that's depending on which part of New Jersey you're driving to. I'm I'm imagining it's in the Edison kind of Somerset yep. area. 
Um, yeah. So I know just to, just to drive to like Newark would be a two hour drive. So that to get down to Edison would be like close to a three hour drive. Or roughly how long was it taking each way? Uh, around two hours. <clears throat> yeah, two hours, so we two and a half hours. In the morning and then, yeah. So you, you got to see quite a bit of I-95 and 287. Oh, yeah, a, a little bit too much, but, yeah. No, like the back of your hand, do you, do you have a favorite Dunkin' Donuts exit that you would stop off at on the way back or forth? Um, I mean, there was a Dunkin' Donuts, like, right by, like, when I would leave to the to the highway, so we just stopped there. Yeah. There's there's a there's a there's a old Saturday Night Live skit. I'm dating myself here, but there was a, a skit in like the early mid '90s with Adam Sandler, where they had it was like a mock quiz show, and all the contestants were asked these like really really basic questions that could they could not answer anything, and and then the host uh, switches categories, and and uh, the question was like name. Name the number of Dunkin' Donuts uh, between, I think it was like Darien and uh, Springfield, Massachusetts on yeah. I-95. And they're like, and boom, person buzzes in like 127. <laughs> it's a running joke that like in New England, in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and like New Jersey, upstate New York, that's like a given. There's a there's a Dunkin' Donuts literally like oh, yeah. almost Dunkin every exit. Really popular up in Connecticut. So, um, so going from having essentially no training facilities in Connecticut and basically being forced into two hour drives to New Jersey to play competitive, uh, junior cricket and then adult cricket on the weekends in, in, uh, in Connecticut in the Southern Connecticut Cricket Association, you go to Plano. What is the difference in terms of the facility access for training during the week and then on the weekend what would be your typical commute to access cricket in Plano? Um, so in Plano, uh, there's nets here, I think about like 30 minutes from my house. So I used to go there, I think once or twice a week. And then on weekends, we would have games Saturday and Sunday. So there's two leagues here, DCO and NTCA. So on Saturday, I would have the 20 over games and then on Sunday, a 40 over game. So yeah. And a typical so, typical facility ground that you'd be playing the matches at, how far would that be away from home typically? Um, so in Plano, we're kind of in the middle. So we have seven grounds near us, and then but if I'm traveling to McKinney or Allen or it, thirty minutes at most. So you're going from basically a two-hour drive to now uh, a thirty minutes at most drive. Yep. For your cricket. That, you know, that's a huge difference. That makes a big yeah. difference. So just from a simple logistics standpoint and, you know, frequency of training, frequency to access facilities, whether it's from a training standpoint or, or match play standpoint, what kind of transformation did that facility access and just frequency of access to cricket, how has that impacted your development um, first of all, it gave me a lot of confidence and like technically I got better as a batsman as well. And obviously, um, more shots you play in the nets, it's better muscle memory. So, um, it helped me get better to play more shots and get more shots. So is it basically just simply a matter of 
repetition and just getting that muscle memory and and just again you know you're going you're in connecticut you're not really able to train during the week to now being in a, a position and in a location just geographically from a very basic fundamental standpoint where you can go there quite regularly and you're getting much more repetition just much more access and and just much more opportunities to practice is it is it really simple as that um i mean not really simple i mean i got coaching my dad um coached me because he, he was a batsman too so he taught me like the basics of cricket um but yeah for me repetition yeah is important you mentioned your dad again i i said it earlier he played with alim dar at his college back in pakistan um you've mentioned him he's, he's your coach and he introduced you to cricket what would you say is your earliest cricket memory that you have growing up with, would it be just starting off playing the game um, with your, with your family, with your dad, or is there a match on TV or on the internet that you can think of as your first exposure to cricket and, and what sucked you into the game in the first place, especially as somebody, again, regardless of the fact that you're, you're from a, a family of Asian heritage growing up in the USA, you don't have as much traditional exposure as you do compared to other sports. Um, I guess just watching my dad, um, because their games actually used to be really competitive and obviously we used to cheer for the team. But um, one game I recall, like I really enjoyed, actually uh, me and my brother, we played against my dad. Yeah, in a league game. It was it was really intense. I think he ended up beating us, obviously, but just, just to have that experience was really special. And yeah. And just that kind of sucked you in just – being on the field and getting a chance to compete in that way. That's, that's what got yep. you hooked. Yep, exactly. In Texas, you're part of the, the Southwest region team at the, the recent tournament, but prior to this reconstituted tournament structure that USA cricket has organized for this year, there'd been a big gap in the tournament structure for U.S. cricket, especially at junior level, in terms of a national tournament and national identification selection process. So for 2019, and getting into the World Cup squad in that event, they had basically a, a trimmed-down selection camp, selection combine from memory, um, and you were 16 at the time. So what do you remember about that process, and as, especially being one of the younger kids in the selection pool at that time, did you realistically think you had a shot to make the U.S. Under-19 team? Um, coming in from the beginning of that tournament, I, I remember I was like obviously very nervous and um, and not having turf experience as much or at all. Um, I would rate myself one of the underdogs of that um, specific tryouts. But I was just trying to stay positive at the time, staying confident in my skill, back myself, no matter like how old I am or whatever. Um, I was just trying to stay focused that I can do it. It's no matter what, how old I am. And yeah, I'm the that worked out. Thanks to the almighty. Were you surprised that you got picked then? I mean, you're saying that you felt you were an underdog. Um, obviously, it was a big relief I got picked. Um, I was just... I mean, I wasn't, I would say kind of surprised. Yes. Um, it was a big thanks to my dad.
for all the hard work, though. That, that's the most exciting part for me. Um, I was happy that um, his hard work paid off. And, yeah, my hard work as well. You got picked for the team uh, that went to Canada for the qualifier. But you were uh, somebody who, unfortunately, had to ride the bench. Uh, you never actually got game action in terms of being in the starting 11. And uh, for some kids, that can be a very difficult experience. It can be discouraging to the point where some kids might go through that experience and they might say, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't, I don't know if I really want to stick with this if, if this is the type of opportunities I'm getting or lack of opportunities. Um, you've gone a different route. You've, you've improved and, and, and uh, gone ahead leaps and bounds. But just thinking back to that experience, again, even though you were one of the youngest players in the team, doesn't matter what age you are. It's not easy being on the bench. So just what was your mental approach at that event? And and just honestly speaking, you know, was it how difficult was it? I can't imagine it's easy being on the bench. So, you know, so so what were the things kind of going through your mind and how did you approach it? And how did you kind of process the experience, uh, especially not just being on the bench, but seeing the team lose to Canada and not qualify and, and most likely thinking to yourself, oh, if only I could have gotten on the field, maybe I could have helped and, and, and things might have turned out differently. So how, how would you evaluate how everything unfolded over that course of that week in Canada? Um, I was I, I was trying to stay positive at the time um, and support my teammates in a good way, not trying to, you know, oh, I'm not playing, so this, that. But I was just trying to stay um encourage my teammates and I wanted to really get to the world cup, but unfortunately it did not happen. But after that Canada loss, like it really motivated, motivated me. Um, I wanted to come back stronger. I'm like, I have to come back twice as strong and hopefully unsure if I get picked um, to try and make USA beat Canada. So that was my motive going in. I didn't really take um, many negative thoughts about it. But, yeah, I try to stay positive as much as I could. I mean, at that stage, were you thinking long-term in terms of just being aware of the sense that, I mean, did the coaches communicate to you? Uh, did they have a conversation with you saying, like, Ramon, at the moment we envision you being a backup opener or a backup batsman, so you may not get to play this week? Um, what was communicated to you in that, from that standpoint? Did you have a clearly defined role in, in that sense? And then kind of as a follow-up to that, were you taking that approach at being on the bench all week? Were you taking more of a mindset of just wanting to soak up as much as you could observationally so that you could kind of apply these things and just whether it's from a strategic sense or just a game situational sense, picking up things, learning things uh, in terms of an ICC event that you could apply potentially two years down the road heading into the next qualifier? Um, you know, what, what was your mindset from, from those two aspects? Um, yeah, like, as you said, I was trying to soak in cause it was such a well-organized, um, and a highly standard competitive, um, qualifier. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to soak in everything and obviously trying to stay positive, but in terms of what was said to me by the coaches, they said, we'll try to give everyone chances, but obviously the country is first and that's what I was fine with because obviously it's the team first before anyone you said though seeing canada beat usa and, and beat the team 
became a very big motivating factor for you. What was the number one motivational aspect that you took away leaving Canada that week? Um, that, oh man, I couldn't do anything to help my team um, win. So that obviously was huge and very nerve-wracking. But you just got to stay positive, hopefully, inshallah, next time. This time we'll get him, inshallah. So now you've had two years to stew on that. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's, I guess, what's the, I, coming back, you said you wanted to work hard, improve, um, and obviously there has been a significant improvement, judging by the way you performed in Texas at the Under-19 Nationals. If there's any one thing that you felt you had to work on to improve your chances so that you wouldn't be stuck on the bench the next time around and that you would be, a, in fact, a leading performer, a leading candidate as you were at the Under-19 Nationals, what would you say is the one thing that you really focused on in terms of your own game personally over the last few years that has put you in the position you are today coming out of the under-19s where you were the leading scorer? Um, for me, it was all mentally because, as, as I said before, um, last trials I wasn't as confident. So I don't think I performed to the best of my ability because of that also had a big um, factor. And, but yeah, I was just trying to stay positive and think I'm here for a reason and I have to prove myself and hopefully get on with the team again. So then leading into the, the tournament itself, I mean, Southwest as the host, officially, I guess you could say, being mostly a Texas-based uh, team of players and then playing in Houston. I know you're, you're in Plano, which for people who aren't aware, who may be listening or watching to this is Plano is a suburb of Dallas, so it, Dallas doesn't currently have any turf wicket facilities to get to play in Houston where the turf wicket facilities are. is a three, three-and-a-half-hour drive away, so it's not exactly like you can just pop in the car and head over. But you would have had some exposure to the facilities in Houston at, at some point in time, I would imagine, over the last uh, couple of years. So what besides the mental preparation, um, and the, the, the talent depth that, that you had in the squad with guys coming back who are also USA under-19 teammates like Ali Sheikh, like Abhi Ram, Bali Samagari. Um, what, what was, I guess, your mindset and your approach then heading into this under-19 national championship in Texas in, in the, from the standpoint of, I mean, did you, with a, more confidence now going into this event, did you feel like you were favorites? I mean, did you feel like, and, and as a team, and then did you feel personally like you had set any sort of targets, like I want to be the number one scorer, I want to be the leading scorer on my team or leading scorer in the tournament? And what, what was your kind of philosophy from that standpoint? Um, first, first priority was I talked to Ali and Abiram. We were talking about we're trying to win the whole thing. We wanted to, obviously, it's kind of bragging rights for whichever region wins. So that was the first ultimate goal. And obviously the second was to try and score over 300 runs. But if if that doesn't happen and if we still win the championship, that's fine for me. I just want to do as much as I could to help my teammate what team win. Coming out of, of the national tournament, you've got the 26-man squad that was announced a uh, short time after the Nationals com were completed. And now you've got the recent news this 
past week where you've got a specific date now in June, June 10th to the 20th, there's going to be camp in San Francisco. The under-19 qualifier is August 18th to the 25th. So there's still about two months or so before that event. Um, but you've got this first camp coming up. Not sure if there's going to be another camp beyond that or what. Um, but what is your your approach and philosophy heading into that camp in, in terms of how you are hoping to prepare and what you expect to get out of that camp leading into the, the, the final squad selection and the under-19 qualifier? Um, so my approach is that I'm, I'm trying to um, start off with like a clean slate. So I'm not thinking anything about nationals. Um, I want to try to do double, double what I did at nationals, hopefully, and trying to be consistent. And um, I'm trying to get also as fitter as I can uh, because um, USA just put us on a program. So uh, Coach Burt and all of them. So we'll be trying to get as fitter as we can to be um, playing those long five to six competitive 50 over games. So a lot of workload in that week. I know there's quite a lot of talent in, in the squad, in the 26-man group. Some of the guys you've played with uh, and some of the guys you've only played against. Uh, of the guys of the guys that you, uh, besides the guys from Texas and besides guys like Sai Mukamala, uh, who were also in the under-19 team uh, previously back in 2019 that you're aware of and would have been able to to be around. Is is there anybody who you got a glimpse of at the Nationals in Texas uh, from the opposite side of the field that now you're really, really looking forward uh, to potentially be a teammate of at this camp and, and beyond uh, in the under-19 squad? Um. Yeah, not to be a favorite, my boy uh, Yasser, Yasser Muhammad. Yeah, that's that's my guy. I'm really looking forward to be a teammate with him, hopefully. He's based in New Jersey, uh, mid-Atlantic guy. Had you played with him in New Jersey when you would drive back and forth prior to, to moving to Texas when you were uh, commuting from Connecticut? How did you first come into contact with him? Uh, so I didn't play with him, but we played. Uh, there were national U13 nationals, and I used to play for Northeast because um, uh, Coach Jay Singh, he was the coordinator and um so he was on that team as well and from there after that i met him in new jersey when we started playing regular league games against him so he used to play for crick max i used to play for indoor cricket usa so we used to have some tough battles tough battles he had a tough battle in the final he took your wicket yeah yeah that's true also took got him out though payback so you, so you know each other quite well Oh, yeah, really well. We always try to go each other, like, twice as harder. And, yeah. What was what was the, the, the youth cricket scene like from your perspective when you were in New Jersey? You mentioned Crick Max, Indoor Cricket USA. Uh, there's Dream Cricket as well, Dream Cricket Academy. There's, there's quite a for, for a state that maybe is sometimes overlooked compared to New York cricket or, or Northern California cricket. There's quite a significant youth cricket scene in New Jersey. So what was, how would you characterize those kind of experiences that you had growing up in, in that environment? Um, so the fields weren't the best. Um, they were really heavy. So, and 
back then I, I don't really have any power. So all I could do was just stay on the crease and just singles. So that was like the game back then. So back then, yeah, it was really tough scoring runs. Um, but yeah. Going from that experience to then playing the, on the fields that you played in, in, in Houston, Prairie View, <laughs> night and day. Um, mentally, though, as a kid, you know, how how challenging is that to just kind of almost compartmentalize the fact that you've got this almost like angel and devil battle on, on each shoulder as, as a kid where you're being told by your coaches, trust your technique, work on your technique, stay with your technique, and, and it doesn't get rewarded on those fields in, in a place like New Jersey because the grass is four, five, six inches high and you might be out there in a 40 over match for, you know, if you bat half the innings or you bat a full innings and you end not out, you might, you know, face 120 balls and you might end 18 not out off 120 balls yes. <laughs> compared to, and then, you know, going to Texas, what you experienced recently. I mean, how, how much of a challenge is that just mentally as a youngster to, to kind of see the bigger picture? Um, so back then, like, I didn't, like, obviously I, I knew I couldn't hit a six because, like, the boundaries were just massive. But um, so that's why I just tried to stay on the ground, just try to look for singles. But you were right. Yeah, obviously, like, 120 balls are being, like, at most, like, 50, 60 runs at most. But um, now you get value for your shots. Obviously, the outfields are just amazing. So you get value for your shots and you get runs quicker as well. If you had to change one thing about cricket facilities and cricket development in the U.S. when there might not always be the financial resources or just the facility access resources to to be able to have this utopian cricket field, per se, if it, if it comes down to a matter of playing on a turf wicket with a thick outfield or playing on an artificial wicket, but with a very well-maintained outfield where you get value for shots from your perspective, which do you feel is more beneficial to a, a player's development, not just from a technical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint? Um, personally, I would take the turf with heavy outfield um, because when you then go play on other fields with turf wickets with um, good outfields, then you'll know how to score runs on there because if you just keep batting on carpet, you, the ball is just going to stay at a consistent height and it's just going to come quick. On turf, it sticks, um, it spins, grips, all that. So there's it's a lot different. So I'd rather be playing on turf with heavy grass. And, and from that standpoint, to me, this has always been a historical struggle with players at junior level in particular. Going up to that under-19 qualifier two years ago, you said yourself you were a player who didn't really have much access to, to turf wicket facilities uh, prior to, to playing for USA. And that is a significant transition that I don't think a lot of people appreciate if they haven't played on a turf wicket before. Um, in your eyes, do you feel like that has been or, or was the biggest obstacle in terms of closing the gap with Canada, because from a talent standpoint, I don't think the Canada players necessarily, especially that age group, are exceptionally talented beyond what USA players offer. I think it's it's quite even, but it's been 
a decade now since USA qualified for an under-19 World Cup. Canada has gone to every under-19 World Cup representing the region since 2010. And and that was the year when Canada and USA were both allowed to go because there was global qualifiers, so you could have two representatives from the region. But when it's just been a one-region berth, uh, Canada has gone every single time. Um, and I've always felt it's because not that they're necessarily more talented, but playing on turf wickets in Toronto is is a huge advantage for a lot of those kids. Did you feel like that was uh, something that was a deficiency that the the USA kids faced when you were up there in 2019? That did you observe at all that guys who you had seen at trials or at other events locally around the US were batting one way? And then when they got to Canada and it was a turf wicket, they were batting a different way, and, and it, it was just too tough of an adjustment to make within one week. Um, I wouldn't really put it on the wicket. I think it was more of a mental standpoint because obviously it was a huge game. So I think some some players were a little nervous coming into the game. But um, for the turf, I mean, we were there a, a week earlier, so we had pretty good turf practice already on there. But I wouldn't blame it on um, – obviously, we would love to have more turf practice, but I wouldn't blame it on uh, the turf standpoint. So you said it was more of a mental thing. Yeah, more of a mental for me. It's a different group of teenagers each time, but still, the historical precedent that's there – I mean, people aren't blind to it. The players are yeah. aware of it uh, for sure. So having said that, what's it going to take to beat Canada this time around? And just uh, so I don't offend everybody, not just Canada – but Bermuda and Argentina, <laughs> what's it going to take to beat all these teams and come out number one? I think playing to our strengths and playing simple cricket, not simple cricket and not overthinking or uh, taking any team lightly. Um, giving your 100% on the field every game will take whatever team to beat. Good stuff. Now, do this with every guest. The best 11. First 11, best 11, rapid-fire questions. No, I can't. We'll see see what you can come up with for your answers. Rahman, are you ready? Uh, I don't know. All right. They're going to for this, my teammates. Here we go. Your your favorite roommate or your best roommate on any cricket tour, whether it was ruined with USA Under-19 or Southwest Region or any other cricket tour you've been on, your best roommate. My best. Can I give a few? Like, got it. No, come on. You got to go for one. Uh, um, I'll give it to. Oh my God, this is actually tough. I'll give it to him since I'm not rooming with him anymore as much. I'll give it to Majid Zubair. Majid Zubair, was, former USA Under-19 player. Majid Zubair. Yeah, really funny roommate. Funny roommate. Okay, the. The roommate who was the loudest snore or the messiest roommate you've ever had on tour? Uh, loudest? I mean, I want to say loudest, but energetic, I would put in a word. Ali Sheikh? Ali yeah. Sheikh. Yeah, energetic. <laughs> right. He's, he'll keep you awake in some I'll way, shape, you. or form. I'll give it to Yas- Yasser Muhammad. Yasser Muhammad will keep you awake. All right. Keep telling me, all right, bro, let's go to sleep, but we won't go to sleep until like another couple hours because there's always something new to talk about with him. All right. If you could not be a cricketer, 
which sport or job would you most want to do? Could not be a cricketer. What would be your career? Um, football, probably. I like to stay in the athlete standpoint. So, yeah, football, probably. NFL, football. Oh, yeah. I know. So I know you told me in the past you wear number twelve because Aaron Rodgers is your is your favorite player. Yeah. What do, you think whole, what do you think of the whole saga that's happening right now with the Packers? Is he going to be a Packer come September? I mean, I personally DM'd him, so I hope he listens to me. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think he'll stay. Hopefully, um, they're just creating drama and all that. But yeah, he'll stay. Okay. The nicest or the best cricket ground experience you've ever had, whether it's as a player playing in the ground or as a fan uh i church street is pretty good uh central broward park is good the fort lauderdale you had to pick one of the two so if you take into consideration so like not just the cricket but like the lunches the lunches the meals the training facilities all like the atmosphere and the 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 support network if you had to pick between uh church street park and and water hill which one would you choose uh central broward but i forgot to mention granada the granada national stadium is actually where yeah you've been to you've been to the stadium in granada and you yeah we had a preparation tour there for the usa all right your favorite place to eat out on on a cricket tour could be a chain restaurant or if there's a specific restaurant in, in a certain city if, if there's one place that's your go-to option when you're out on the road after a training session or after match what do you go to um i'm gonna say fast food because i'm not really allowed to eat um um meat like in a regular restaurant i would say well we all go to chipotle a lot chick-fil-a is pretty chick-fil-a i'll say chick-fil-a yep. chick-fil-a oh yep. You got me right here. I'm a big Chick-fil-A guy. <laughs> Eat more chicken. I love the Chick-fil-A cows. Eat more chicken. Yeah. I mean, you can't really... Yeah. Actually, yeah, Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday, right? Yeah, I think so. That's all right. You got the other six days of the week. Yep, that's true. <laughs> the chicken and, and the waffle fries. The fries are outstanding. Big oh, yeah, the waffle fries. Fry. Yep. Which, which do you like more, the chicken or the waffle fries? What's your go-to? Waffle, waffle fries. Waffle fries. All right. There we go. Yeah. Your favorite pizza topping? Uh, cheese. Um. Yeah. Wait. So, like, any like a regular like Domino's or yeah, like, you, you can you can go with cheese if you want. Yeah. If, if you're ordering Domino's or or a local pizza, whatever. If you're a cheese pizza guy, that's right. I'm a Kevin McAllister myself. Kevin McAllister, home alone, loves his cheese pizza. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, but extra cheese on that. Yeah, I like cheese pizza. All right, cheese pizza. You're Kevin McAllister. All right, good to know. <laughs> okay. Uh, are you a Coke or a Pepsi guy? Ooh, that's tough. Pepsi. Pepsi. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you crushed me. I mean, right but yeah, I'll forgive just, you. I'll forgive you for being a Pepsi guy. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Your your favorite all time cricketer? Brian Lara, sir. Brian Lara, sure. The Prince. The Prince. Yep. The Prince. And that's because you're a left hander as well. I I I am imagining. That has something yeah. to do with 
Yeah, and his class is just yeah. Your favorite non-cricket athlete. Now, I know Aaron Rodgers is your favorite football player, but is he your favorite athlete athlete of any sport, or is it somebody else? LeBron James. LeBron James. Interesting. I actually like LeBron more than Aaron Rodgers. So so why don't you wear 23? Is it just because they didn't make it available? Only 1 to 14 was available in the Nationals? Uh, no, I I wore 12 because of Aaron Rodgers, and then like I think I scored a game, so I was like, oh, this is my lucky number from now on. So I just... War 12 ever since. Yeah. All right. Your favorite movie. Favorite movie? Uh, I give Avengers. Which no, there's a couple of them. Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War. Which which one is your favorite uh, Avengers movie? I'm still thinking if it's Avengers or not. Um, wait, does it have to be Hollywood or Bollywood or what? Yeah, it can be Bollywood. We had Amir Absolut and who said his his favorite movie was uh, Andas Apna Apna. So you, you can go Bollywood. <laughs> you can give us your favorite uh, SRK or Saif Ali Khan or Salman Khan or Amir Khan, one of the Khans. <laughs> or or uh, a different I like, movie. I mean, my, my favorite... Um, Movie star is SRK, but my favorite movie, I'd probably give it a Three Idiots. Three Idiots. Yeah. So, Amir Khan. Yeah. I mean, he's not my favorite, but SRK. But, yeah, Three Idiots was my probably my favorite movie. Three Idiots. Okay. <laughs> All right. And the last question in your best 11. Your favorite show to binge watch on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, whatever your favorite streaming platform is, or if you've got a DVD box set, what is your favorite show to binge watch? Favorite show? I mean, I finished it already, but I'll give it a prison break on Netflix. Prison break? Yeah. You're, you're, you know, I know I know you're... you're, you're you, the soft spot is there for Amir Absolute because he gave the same answer, the USA Under-19 Selection Chairman. So I, I can see why he, you're in his good books. You and, <laughs> and Prison Break, guys. <laughs> oh, he said Prison Break as well. He said Prison Break, yeah. That was his show. <laughs> we'll have a talk for sure with Prison Break. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fantastic. Rechimandar, USA Under-19 Nationals leading scorer. Member of the USA Under-19 squad in 2019, and the expectation is you'll definitely be in there in the USA Under-19 squad on home soil, seeking to break that streak as an opportunity for the Under-19 World Cup in 2022 is on the line. Raymond, thank you for coming on the show. I'll give you the last word. Opportunity for you to give a shout out to whoever you want, or if there's anything else you want to say to uh, the, the fans listening and watching out there, the floor is all yours. Uh, first of all, uh, thanks to Almighty. Um, thanks to my parents. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to Isra Foundation and Mufti Wasim Khan. Yep, that's my shout outs today. What is the Isra Foundation? Isra, it's, a, it's a religious um it's like a religious place here and I go to it like every day. It's like a really great environment for like youth for us. I got to give a shout out to them. There you have it. Rahman Dar, 
on the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast. Thank you so much again, and good luck not only at the National Under-19 Squad Camp in San Francisco coming up in June, but also good luck a bit further on down the road in the USA path to the Under-19 World Cup. Thank you. Well, there you have it from Rehman Dar, star batsman at the top of the order for the Southwest region in the Under-19 National Championships, and somebody who is hoping to right the wrong that he experienced as part of the USA Under-19 squad in 2019 in Toronto. He'll be doing his best to break the streak going back to 2010 of absences experienced by USA at the Under-19 World Cup. They've got a great opportunity on home soil to try and end that run with the ICC under-19 World Cup qualifier hosted by USA towards the end of August when they will welcome Argentina, Bermuda, and Canada in a round-robin tournament event. Once again, I want to thank the sponsors of the show, Dream Cricket and Musa Cricket Stadium. Come back next week for the next edition of the Stars and Stripes Cricket Podcast presented by Dream Cricket when our featured guests will be the former mayor of Indianapolis, Mayor Greg Ballard. He had a lot to say about his experiences and interactions trying to work with the former governing body of America, the USA Cricket Association, during his two terms as mayor of Indianapolis. And that is a can't-miss episode for all of you out there. Until then, I am Peter Dalpena. God bless America, and God bless American cricket. Thank you.